Welcome to this edition of Talking HR with Lori and Lisa, where as always, our goal is to give you a real look at today's HR world through our sharing of experiences, knowledge, and inspiring people practices. I'm your host, Lisa Fuller. And I'm Lisa's co-host, Lori Rilkoff, and our guest today is Celine Kalfa of Celine Rose Training, who's here to share her knowledge and experience working in the field of emotional intelligence. In preparing for today's podcast, I discovered that emotional intelligence it's actually more complicated and controversial than I thought. So I'm really looking forward to hearing Celine's thoughts. I am as well, Lori. HR professionals often refer to emotional intelligence. So I'm really interested in what Celine has to share with us. Celine's background um, is really 20 plus years training and facilitating youth and professionals. Uh, she's a registered Canadian professional trainer and a certified emotional intelligence trainer and facilitator coach, and she conducts emotional intelligence assessments as well. So welcome, Slim. Ah, nice to be here. So I'm going to take um, the first question, and just maybe for our listeners, can you share for us your definition of emotional intelligence and why it's important in, for, for many of us who are leading people? Well, first, the first part of the question is around the definition and emotional intelligence is really managing our emotions the smart way. And when I tell people that, they have this blank stare on their faces because you're really managing our emotions in a smart way. They're not even sure what that e even means. So I end up giving them an example of being in a meeting where, you know, voices are getting louder. People are fighting for their position. They're all trying to get in their words. Um, and we all know that when we're in those moments where it's a heated discussion, that some of us may say something that we'll regret. So when somebody has high emotional intelligence, what you'll actually see is that they'll actually get a little quiet. And I'm not saying like minutes long. I'm looking at like five, 10 seconds. And what they're doing is that they're actually tuning into themselves and observing what's happening around them, the people around the table. And then you'll often hear them say, whoa, whoa minute, let's just pause here. And so let's all just take a 10 or 15 minute break. So they, cause they understand that when the emotions are ridiculously high, the best thing to do in that moment is to stop the conversation. They need to clear their heads. And they also know that it's what everybody else needs to do too. Because really, when everybody is all over the map, none of us can think straight. So it's that break that gets emotions back on track. So when everybody comes back to the table, that conversation, that discussion can actually continue. That's managing emotions in a smart way. So does that, is that linked to this concept or idea of emotional intelligence possibly being a curse of emotion in effective leadership? where um, they talk about high uh, or leaders with high emotional intelligence might be insufficiently assertive when having to deal with controversial issues, which compromises their ability to function effectively. No, it's, it, I don't see it as a curse of emotion at all, because if they're managing their emotions effectively, it's actually a godsend. We are actually, as individuals, we're born with a ton of emotions, but yet we venture between anger and sad and what's in between is I'm okay and I'm fine. And we've been taught to ignore those emotions and push them aside. 
and because and we're actually doing such a disservice to ourselves and to others and we really do need to understand what we're feeling and why i remember this was just before covid happened a friend of mine we've been trying on and off to connect go for coffee have lunch and every single time that day came my friend canceled next time was scheduled canceled again and then when the fourth time she bailed i was so ticked off i thought man this is so frustrating and, and i was just so angry but what i ended up doing my emotional intelligence kicked in and i'm going well am i really angry and i'm going and when i really thought about it i thought i'm actually really just just disappointed and that awareness puts a whole new spin on how I was reacting and how I was truly feeling. Because we go into anger way too often, too quick. And emotional intelligence teaches us to kind of slow right down and to take a closer look at what's going on and why. It almost makes you look at things through a different filter. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's what emotional intelligence does. We focus not just on ourselves, but the people around us. Um, you know, we get to see and look at situations and people in a very different light, very different perspective. And so it's not just about me, me, me. It's about everybody around us as well. We need to take those people into consideration. That's all part of emotional intelligence. And that's the piece that when people start learning how to uh, do emotional intelligence, they forget about other people. But that's equally as important as, you know, focusing in on us and how we're feeling and how we can best express ourselves and have conversations, especially those ones that are really like, oh, horrible. We don't want to venture into those conversations. I really like the sounds of that, Slim, because when I think about emotional intelligence, I've always linked it to sort of having a really high level of self-awareness, but also social awareness of what's going on around me and um, attuning to that. And it's so easy to jump to our own conclusions or make assumptions what's going on for others. So it's taking that moment to pause as you just indicated. And I would think um, I'm, I'm interested in learning a bit more from your perspective on how emotional intelligence or even um, leading with empathy right now is often linked to emotional intelligence. How important is that in leadership during these difficult times and, and uncertain times that, that we're experiencing within our workplaces? Well, empathy is actually a big part. Well, it's one of the, one of the components of emotional intelligence. It's one of the 15 subscales of the model that we use. And I, Taya, I am such a big fan of an empathy because it leads to trust and it sets the stage to really understanding what's happening in someone's world or why their performance is sliding. So rather than having somebody being hauled into the office and telling them to pull up their socks and to start performing or else, it's saying to them instead, you know what, I'm noticing A, B, and C. So what the world, what in the world is going on here? Are you okay? And I've had clients who've been on both sides of that question of, are you okay? And the person who is asking is always, I tell you, always blown away at how simple that question can be because it opens up a completely 
unexpected conversation, it's, it's mind blowing for a lot of my clients. And then I have the person who's on the receiving end who's being asked, are you okay? And they are actually taken back and going, gosh, this person actually cares. And so they begin to start slowly opening up and sharing with them what's happening with them, whether it's at the office, whether it's a conflict with somebody else, whether it's in their personal world, they start to share that. And that's when they start to feel heard and understood. And that's how empathy opens the door to trust and and this whole thing around understanding and having those questions and being able to share with somebody what's going on with them. So in the, um, when I was looking at sort of the different aspects of emotional intelligence uh, in preparation for this podcast, I uh, was reading about American organizational psychologist Adam Grant, who I imagine is a little controversial for uh, his ideas around emotional intelligence. Um, But he talks about, he thinks there's a fine line between motivation and manipulation that uh, is done by people that may have high emotional intelligence. What are your thoughts on that? Do you see any merit in Grant's position? Well, you know what? When you look at, at manipulation for what it truly is, it what's the intent and motive behind the manipulation? And then when you look at it really closely, it's all about them and what they want for themselves. It has nothing to do with anybody else. That's not emotional intelligence. If emotional intelligence is being used as it should, there is no need for manipulation at all. And you mentioned motivation, and I feel that the only way to, one of the ways and one of the key ways to motivate people is for a person to be inspired. And once you're inspired, motivation just automatically flows. It just comes. I don't have to work at it. If I'm inspired and I am able to express that to my staff or to my colleagues, and we're all like just people in general, when they see how passionate I am about that, they're going to be motivated. I don't even have to motivate. I just have to make sure that I'm inspired and able to express how inspired I am. Motivation just automatically happens. So another one of Grant's positions is that IQ is more important than emotional intelligence for some positions. Some types of work, uh, such as a scientist, may need a higher IQ level than emotional intelligence because uh, emotional intelligence brings with it some aspects of subjectivity or emotional component that could bias the work. What do you think of that situation? Well, I think that if you're if you're the type of person who's doing data entry all day long and you're in your own little world and you're not interacting with anybody, great. IQ will definitely get you in the door. But if you're looking to become a leader, to be a supervisor, to uh, have an impact on the people around you, um, you're going to have to you're going to need more than IQ. Absolutely. Uh, people with high emotional intelligence, they end up doing a lot better in careers that have, um, that involve a lot of relationships, whether it's people they work with, their clients, their customers. Um, and I know that even for experience, um, Lisa, you know this too. Um, I was hired, um, a number of years back, uh, on an 18 month contract with this organization. And I tell you, I went in completely blind. I didn't have the tech school, the technical skills. I didn't have the knowledge. I had no idea what this organization was about 
at all. I didn't know how they worked. I didn't even know they were a national organization. I had no clue. But I showed up at that job with my emotional intelligence tools in my back pocket. And for those 18 months, I successfully ran that organization. I didn't need all the technical and all the knowledge uh, to do a great job. Um, I mean, that's, I mean, organizations, they're looking for individuals with emotional intelligence and they are not, not in the least worried about their IQ because, hey, guess what? We have uh, on the job training for you. The on the job training, that IQ stuff can be, can be learned quite quickly. Um, but with emotional intelligence, it can be learned, but it, it has to be consistent. It's something that takes a little bit longer. So hence why organizations are looking for those individuals who are already working it or put some effort in and invest in their staff to really um, explore this emotional intelligence piece, get their staff to start using it constantly. So yeah, I mean, IQ will get you in the door, but you're going to need a little bit more than that um, if you want to excel in leadership positions. I think the timing of this and the work that you're doing and, and just helping educate our listeners even more on emotional intelligence is really important because I've been a, a really strong believer of leading with empathy and compassion. Um, we're all human beings. And, you know, I think years and years ago, including myself, I was raised with the philosophy that when I, when I went into work, you know, anything personal in my life kind of was left at the door. And over time, of course, you, you realize life's not that simple uh, or linear and uh, it's complex and certainly in today's environments, more complex. So we're starting to hear a lot more um, out there about leading with empathy and compassion and some of the terms that we may not have heard in the past. And I just actually read a report uh, the last two weeks that said, 61% of employees in our work, workplaces expect their employer to take care of their health and well-being. So that tells me that as leaders, we need, to, we need to look at our workplaces and our cultures and our people differently, and we need to respect and consider them as human beings and as whole individuals. So how can leaders take this knowledge how can they learn more about emotional intelligence? How can they embed that into their leadership practice? Well, I think that, you know, looking after employees' um, well-being is that our employees today, they just want to be part of what's going on with the organization in every aspect. Um, and when I work more closely with employees, I'm kind of taken back of just how how dedicated they want to be. And so they are looking to their leaders to help them do that. And the other piece too is that that's also confusing too is, um, you know, we've always been told that what goes on at home stays at home and what goes on at work stays at work. But the reality and the truth of this is that those two worlds do collide. And we can try as hard as we can and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But if we have a leader who's so rigid in that, if you have a sick child and you are having to 
you know, head out to the elementary school to go pick them up, take them to the doctor. If we don't have a leader that really doesn't have um, a care about what you do in your personal life, they tell you to screw it, you're here to work. Um, that actually puts employees in a position where they don't even care about the kind of work that they do for this person then. They start to kind of slough off. They are the ones that start looking for jobs online during work hours. Those are the ones that will actually start putting in just enough work to keep the job. They're not going to work hard at all because they're looking for their um, their leaders to have understanding, to have compassion, to be empathetic. That's what they're looking for. So if you have um, a leader that isn't high in the emotional intelligence scale, um, we know you can buy toys now that help boost emotional intelligence. Uh, kids are being enrolled in social and emotional learning programs designed to teach them those skills. And sometimes it's even a curriculum requirement in the U.S., do you think emotional intelligence can be learned? Oh, absolutely. Totally. I mean, we all have some level of emotional intelligence. Some of us are really, really good at it. And other ones you go, what? And I, when I look at people who've got, like, it doesn't appear there's anything there. It's because I always say, I think their emotional intelligence went for coffee and never came back. And because we have actually lost, they have actually lost their ability to tap into that emotional intelligence. Um, and because they've reverted to other means to get what they want, whether it's manipulation, um, you know, forcing their, their, their judgments and their opinions on other ones. Uh, but the, the whole thing with emotional intelligence, the key to learning it is being disciplined to use it consistently, like every single day, um, and learning how to apply it properly. It's, it's not those skills that you can, you can learn and you put it on the shelf and you think, you know what, I'll take it down in a year. It doesn't work that way. And the reason why I say that is because every single day we're dealt with so many different variations of situations, different people, all kinds of different conversations. And there's not two that are exactly the same thing, which makes emotional intelligence so unique in itself. There's so many moving parts to it. And the coaching piece that, that I do through um, Cylindro's training becomes such an integral part of the learning to keep someone or to help someone take a step back and to view it differently. So when you have an organization who has two or three or four or five people who've got really high levels of emotional intelligence, Oh my goodness. It's amazing to watch the conversations that are starts happening between them because they are literally end up coaching each other and supporting them in a way that is going to have such a positive impact on the other people around them. For those other employees that are struggling, they'll have the empathy. They'll be able to go in and have those really tough conversations with somebody and they'll be really so good at it. And that's why emotional intelligence is such, is so important in, in the world of, of work, the work environment today. I, I can't even imagine not being in that mindset, especially for a leader. If you have an employee that has really high emotional intelligence and you have a leader that is, has got hardly any, 
that's a tough place to be, to be working. And more often than not, people will only tolerate certain behaviors for so long and they'll, they'll be gone. They're going to find job elsewhere. And what they're looking for is for a leader who's got those, that mindset, who's got the emotional challenges, who has the empathy, the understanding. So do you actually, sorry, go ahead. I just, uh, so eager to explore this (laughs) aspect a bit more with you because I'm thinking of, you know, in an organization that doesn't have or has this void of emotional intelligence, particularly at the leadership level, do you have any tips on how an organization could recruit for high emotional intelligence in their applicants? Oh, gosh, yes. Because you know what? (laughs) Because you know what? The whole idea is is through the interview process. I mean... When I've had to interview people in the past, there are some things and certain questions that I kind of ask. And it's not necessarily about what their technical skills or their knowledge base is. I try to zoom in in their, in their, their people skills and their social skills, their emotional intelligence. So I ask questions such as, you know, if you and another person had different opinions about something how would you handle that because like 30 years ago the common question was how do you deal with conflict conflict can look different for everybody so I try to be very specific you have a differing opinion between somebody else or you see somebody who is doing something against company policy how would you handle that and and so I'm trying what I'm trying to get out of them is for them to explain to me would they actually approach this person themselves would they go running to leadership and start telling, like being a tattletale? How would they actually react and respond to seeing somebody who's doing something, perhaps inappropriate behavior at work? How would they? And so that's, that's where I, you know, some of the tips is just to kind of, when you're looking for somebody is to go into scenarios uh, that you may have experienced at your own organization and how can you recoin it and say it in such a way that would get the, the potential candidate to actually open up so that they will actually talk and you will actually see them going, oh my gosh, this person's very militant, very my way or the highway. And I've seen it where, you know, you ask them a common question and they just we go on this little story and you can kind of get a sense of going yep this person is not for this organization and you're and you can actually weed out people very very quickly I think that's important Slim because even as organizations try to recruit great talent into their organization we, we do know that, you know, you can train some of the technical skills, as you mentioned, but a lot of organizations are looking for organizational fit to their values and to the culture. And even, even more so, employees or candidates, um, I should say, are, are also interviewing the organization to sh- ensure that it's an organization that is going to be meaningful to them that is going to care for them as an individual, as a contributor, um, and value their perspectives. So 
it goes both both ways. The organization's trying to recruit good talent with emotional intelligence, but candidates also want to work for organizations and leaders with good emotional intelligence. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you were, if you were going to go back 30 years or 20 years ago, it was all about getting a job. They didn't care where, as long as they made good money and, and they had uh, a job and money bringing coming in. Now with all this, with all the new generations that are now in the workforce, yeah, they're very selective in who they want to have to work with. They want to know who's at, who's at the top. They want to know what this person is like. Um, they're very much interested because they don't want to waste their time moving from job to job anymore. And that has been sort of the trend in the last, I would say, 10 or 15 years that people start, quit, start, quit, start, quit, because they're trying to figure out how to get the right alignment where their values are being honored and respected. Um, and that's, and that's starting to, to, to change a little bit. And the only way they can do it is to ask the conversations or ask the organization in the interview process. Like, you know, a lot of times, like, do you have any questions for me? And all of a sudden you get this candidate who's got this list of questions and that they're like, incredible questions that should really be asked. Um, people are not wanting to settle anymore and they really do want to work with organizations that really um, are passionate about what they're doing and that they're not veering off and just focusing on the bottom line. They're not interested in that anymore. They want to see organizations that do, do care about their employees. They do care about the well-being of their customers and their clients. Um, everybody out there that's that social responsibility thing that's what candidates are actually looking for yeah and I think that that's uh, table stakes now is really that consideration of uh, really diverse um, stakeholders so whether it's society as a whole your community um, the environment and um, of course employees well-beings you know you have to have a real multi-stakeholder approach from an organizational perspective and some of that, those items are becoming the table stakes of today's oh, workforce. Totally. I mean, there's some organizations and one of them I know is the Royal Bank and they've done an exceptional job where they allow their employees to contribute so many hours. I'm not even sure exactly how it works, but I've been, um, I've been privy to some of that being on the receiving end of their, of their projects. And it's been great. And when I talk to those that really do, uh, put in the hours to volunteer and go out and help an organization. They love that part of the work. You know, it's not just all going into the office and it's just, just not, you know, the nose to the, to the books and the computer and it's just not work, work, work. There's gotta be some enjoyment, um, in the work environment as well. Awesome. So before we wrap up, Slim, I just have a one quick question, or maybe maybe two, and I'm sure Lori <laughs> might have a final comment. But it, it it is so interesting, and I'm really engaged in the conversation we're having. Tell me what what advice you would give to leaders that are are um, supporting a remote team now, because I don't think we will be back in um, offices right away. So how can they ensure that they are caring and showing that emotional intelligence over zoom calls and and maybe leading from a bit of a distance yeah that's going to be something that we're going to be up against at least for the next year 
at least what I'm thinking anyway. And yeah, it's, it's an issue totally. Um, and being over Zoom, Zoom has been so uh, great versus just being on the telephone. Um, I think during this whole COVID to stay away from the email, to stay away from the telephone and to actually connect over Zoom so you can see the person face to face. That's number one. I think that, you know, leaders are trying so hard to keep it together. And when they're talking with their staff, you know, they need to show them that they too are struggling and having a hard time here. And, you know, as much as they try to have that really strong, you know, I've got this all, I've got it here and I've got it together. They need to show some sense to their staff that, you know, that they too, if they're like everybody else, I'm human. I'm having trouble in being isolated. I miss being in the office with all my staff. I miss being around the lunch table and us talking just about our everyday staff. So those kinds of things is that we need to have that on our Zoom calls and just saying, you know what, how about this week we all get together for 20 minutes on a Zoom call during our lunch hour or prior to, and let's just talk about what's happening with us so that it feels like we're back in in our lunchroom. And I also encourage leaders to as well is, yes, there's this tendency to do Zoom calls with, with five, 20 people, 30 people, maybe more, to see if they can narrow it down and really talk to key individuals who you think are might be struggling more than others. And having that individual conversation with them just to say, you know what, um, I can tell that something's up and let's talk about it. And, you know, that will open it up. That's what's going to save a lot of that sense of isolation that many of us are starting to experience yet again. It's having that, that reconnection that it's not just on the phone. It's not just through email. Yeah. And our, our last podcast, we talked with Shane Jensen with uh, from NRI Distribution, and we were discussing leadership with remote workers. And one of the things we did talk about was having the situation where some employees don't want to work from home, that they want that social interactions. And what, what does that mean if people don't go back into the offices after the pandemic is over? Yeah. How do they fulfill those social needs and, and things like that? So I, I think what you're saying is that emotional intelligence can play a very strong role in establishing some of that. They can't completely replace it, of course, but establishing more of what people may miss from going into the office. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people who are, I'm an introvert. I'm quite okay. I don't struggle a whole whole lot. I do like to have those connections every once in a while. I do FaceTime even with my family and even some of my really close friends. Having just a phone call is just not cutting it for me. And I have uh, several friends who are very much extroverts and they are suffering and they are just in a really not in a good place. And I think that those people really, and even leaders, to be aware of those that are what we call social butterflies, that they just love, you know, cracking jokes and having fun and poking fun at people. And just, you know, they are the ones that keep the, the atmosphere at the office so full and funny and laughing. 
they are the ones that really need that extra attention because they need to feel that they can still connect with people and still joke around, that they're not sitting at home feeling very, very isolated. Those are the ones that are really going to be struggling here in this next whatever time frame we're looking at with COVID here. Well, I think we've really learned a lot today. I know I have. And I think you shot Grant's positions on emotional intelligence right out of the water. <laughs> Let's not tell him that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I really appreciate you joining us today. I think I can speak on behalf of Lisa as well. And yes, uh, absolutely. thanks so much for teaching us more about emotional intelligence. You're very welcome. I enjoyed it. This was fun this morning. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Lynn. We'd also thank, like to thank Andrew Skopenko. He's our team member and master of technical support who makes all of this happen for us every time. Say hello, Andrew. Hi, everyone. Glad to be here. <laughs> and, and we have, a, yeah, oh, go, go ahead, Lisa. Tell, <laughs> tell us about our other volunteers. <laughs> and, and we just want to uh, thank all of our volunteers. Additional thanks to Rhonda Keeper for our artwork and to Jeremy Wilcock for our theme music as well. We hope all of you will join us for our next podcast. I'm looking forward to that again. <laughs> <laughs>